Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. I think that's the biggest thing for me this year, being a utility guy. I'm able to enjoy the environment a little more. Uh, I felt like last year's a short tub. I was so focused on the things that I need to work on. I wasn't able to enjoy myself as much. Being a utility guy, uh, center field during the Subway Series, bottom nine, two outs. You know, I'm able to look around and kind of take everything in, and you know, it's just very fun. I think the thing about people from Hawaii is we're a little fiery. Yeah, I could be fiery at times. So, yeah, when I'm on the field, I'm very fiery. I want to be one of the, the best utility guys or bench players, uh, whatever my role may be, to play here. You know, I always want to be the best. So, um, you know, that's something that I take a lot of pride in. And you know, hopefully, I think this new role, utility or, or bench player, you know, hopefully I, I pave a way for guys and, and show them you know, how to be ready, how to do things the right way, and just how to produce out of that role. It's a hard role sometimes, but, um, you know, I, I don't want it to be no excuses. I want to be ready at every with every opportunity. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me across the desk, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Nate, how you doing? Pretty good, John. How are you today? I'm great. I wish everyone a happy 4th of July, obviously. Nate, we have a cool one today. We're going to get to my interview that I did with Yankees, I guess you call him now, utility player, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. He was incredibly open about some of the struggles he had and also what he's excited about in his current role. Audio is not amazing, but hopefully, you know, the message gets across. And then, Nate, I figure we should also talk a little bit about Hope Week, which we're celebrating right now here at Yankee Stadium. And also, earlier this week, we noted the 40th anniversary of Dave Rigetti's no-hitter. So I feel like that's a good episode there for you. Plenty to talk about. Plenty to talk about. Let's get right to it. Here's Isaiah kiner Falefa. Isaiah kiner Falefa, thank you so much for joining us on the New York Yankees official podcast. I, I have to say... I usually start these the same way. You know, it's Yankees pitcher Garrett Cole, welcome, or Yankees catcher Jose Trevino, welcome. I feel like with you, I just have to say New York Yankee, Isaiah Kiner Falefa, because I don't even know what position to call you at this point, man. Yeah, I mean, moving all over the place this year. Um, I'm loving it. I'm loving the opportunity to to be on this team this year, and um, I'm having a lot of fun. So every month we do the scorecard in Yankees magazine and we break players down by position, all that stuff. I swear, I think we've had you at a different position in every single issue this year. I'm wondering how much pride do you take in being a guy who Aaron Boone knows whatever he needs, you're there. The one thing I, I pride myself on is being a baseball player. Um, I love the game. I love being able to play different positions. And I like the label baseball player rather than just one position. It, it sounds cooler. And, um, you know, there's a lot of versatility and it helps the team a lot. This is a weird question. How many different gloves do you own? Like, how, how, what do you travel with at this point? Right now, I just travel with four gloves. Uh, catcher's glove, two outfield gloves, and an infield glove. So, um, yeah, not not nothing too crazy. I don't have a first base glove. So, um, not yet. yeah, it keeps it down for not yet. Fair enough. So, so this might get a little bit in the weeds here. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, forgive me though. Have you been to a lavish Broadway musical ever? Perhaps. I have not. Okay. Well, 
maybe you're familiar, you know, you, you go to one of these and obviously they're the main actors and they're belting out their songs and you kind of can't take your eyes off them. But if you watch closely, what you realize is, you know, the, the ensemble guys, the dancers, whatever, they're all doing their thing too. And one of the interesting things about it is you might be playing the role of dancer number five and you have all these steps and you have all these notes you have to hit and things like that. But if dancer number two is out that day, you might be moving into that role. And suddenly the music's the same. You're hearing the same thing and you're looking at the same thing, but you have to remember to go maybe an octave higher, or maybe your first step is to the left instead of the right. And as as, as weird as it sounds, I, I kind of wonder sometimes because uh, when you guys were in Oakland, you played second base for the first time, I think since your rookie year. Now, obviously baseball, you don't have a script and the game's in front of you and you're reacting in a lot of ways, but you still do need to know like where you are on a cutoff and where your first step is and everything like that. I mean, is it just instinct as a baseball player that's allowing you to do that? Or do you have to break down where you are in each particular moment? Definitely instincts, but at the same time, um, being able to play shortstop for the last couple of years has really helped me out a lot. Um, I, I think shortstop and catcher are by far the two hardest positions on the field, and I've played both. Um, so understanding how to play those positions allows me to know what's going on the field. Um, as a shortstop, you know every moving part on the field. You know where everyone has to be. Um, and as a catcher, you understand every situation. So just putting those two in my back pocket and understanding my job and what I'm supposed to do, I'm able to um, know my role, know what I have to do. And it just puts me in a good position to to be successful. But at the same time, if you catch a line drive, let's say, on the run in left field as opposed to in center field, do you need to recalibrate in that moment after you make the catch? Or is that just something where your instinct already has you know exactly where you're going with the ball? Yeah, uh, it's more of just, it's a lot easier than shortstop. Um, <laughs> shortstop is so hard, catcher's so hard that I move anywhere else in the field, it's, it's easier. So, gotcha. um, yeah, no offense to the other guys in the field, but just, you know, being a shortstop, being a catcher, um, those are, you know, like I said, by far the two hardest spots. So moving anywhere else just, just gets easier. New York, I know, is an amazing place to play when things are going great. And, you know, it can be difficult when it's not going great. And it doesn't matter who you are. I think. There's sometimes, though, a sense that when you've lost them, you've lost them. And it's, okay, it's not working for this guy. We got we to gotta try something new here, let's say. And I know that last year was tough, and I'm not trying to simplify anything, but how much pride do you take in having the fans in your corner now and, and feeling that maybe you turned around the situation a little bit? I take a lot of pride in that. Uh, last year is definitely tough for me. It was probably the best learning experience of my career. Um, dealing with that, I feel like I'm able to deal with anything. Yeah, it was just just tough. Um, you know, a lot of expectations at shortstop, but um, you know, at the same time, it uh, it gave me an opportunity to be here, and you know, I feel like as tough as it was, I didn't give up, and I'm really proud of myself of the way I've handled this year. I felt like I could have ran away uh, once I lost the shortstop job, but um, you know, this being my favorite team growing up, and um, you know, this is really the only place I really want to be. You know, I, I felt like I could, you know, make some value out of myself. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy to get the fans back on my side. But at the same time, I knew um, I knew if I played the way I play and, and kept my attitude the way I, I normally keep it and, and just, like, stay hard-nosed and, and keep grinding, I know that, you know, I, as a New York fan before, that's the kind of players they love. So at the end of the day, I was just... I was just going to do what I do. And, um, you know, things kind of just fell into place. You know, obviously, we're probably not having this conversation in June of 2023. If you didn't react that way, if your reaction was, like you said, to run and hide, then that probably would have been the end of the story in a sense. What is it about 
do you think the nature of your game? I'm not even talking about your personality here right now. I'm just talking about your skill set that you think enabled you to take on these new responsibilities and this new role. I mean, in a lot of senses, to me, it's like, well, you know, good contact hitters, you know, they they can work it out. Good defenders who can play anywhere, they can work it out. Good speed guys, there's a role for that. Do you think it's just a, a natural part of that your game was never one-dimensional in that regard, so it allowed you to kind of, even if not everything was working at the exact same time, you still did have things you could lean on? Yeah, I felt like I wanted to build a floor. I, you know, I still have catching my back pocket. I've been working on it a little bit um, over the last couple of months. And, um, you know, it's just just keeping things in my my tool set, I guess, my tool bag. You know, I just want to keep my options open um, for anything that could pop up. And I feel like um, my greediness helps, too. I've, uh, I've always looked up to, you know, the big players like Jeter, Posada, Bernie Williams. But the, the guys that, you know, the guy that doesn't get enough credit and one of my favorite players the way he played and his intensity with Brett Gardner. So I kind of try to bring that type of um, energy to the team. You know, I'm not breaking stuff as much as he did, but I'm trying to bring that same intensity, the same fire, and, and just the, the spark and that energy. So, um, you know, as much as I love those big guys, uh, I got to give a lot of credit to Brett Gardner. He was, you know, by far one of my favorite players growing up as well. You know, when you're taking the mound for the Yankees, it's fun and it's a novelty. You know, the reality is it probably also means the game's not going great. You're not on the mound in a situation where everything's perfect. But it is fun and it is cool. And I'm sure it's an interesting thing to get to do. The The other side of that reality is an inning that you pitch is an inning that Ron Marinaccio doesn't have to pitch. You know, in, in a situation where even if it's a blowout, if you can save some bullets for a guy later, you, you know you're going to need those. In the, in the moment when you're thinking of it, how much do you recognize that piece beyond just, hey, it's, it was cool to strike out a guy or whatever, but like also I saved a reliever probably. I, I saved an inning for a reliever. Yeah, as many games as we play, um, you know, our pitchers have been doing such a good job in the bullpen this year, and they've been also um, been used a lot. So anytime I get an opportunity uh, to go out there and, and save one of them so that they can pitch the next day or stay fresh, it's a good feeling for me. It sucks being out there. It's kind of embarrassing um, at times. But uh, just understanding that I'm helping the team out and I'm saving an arm for the, for that day. Um, yeah, it's a, good, it's a really good feeling. Hitting a home run and striking out a guy in the same game. Now, obviously, your quote unquote, your, your actual job, the thing you prepare for is, is hit the home run. I don't think you necessarily prepare to strike a guy out. But what's the experience like after that of trying to balance those two things that you were able to do in the same game? The first time a Yankee's done that since before the DH was instituted. That was my opportunity. Um, it's something I have to get better at is pinch hitting. I've been uh, been able to pinch hit, and I feel like sometimes early in the year I wasn't coming through. So I just use any opportunity I have as a pinch hitter to, um, you know, just work on my craft and get my swing off. It's it's really hard to get into the flow of the game. So anytime I have that op- opportunity, I have to take it seriously, uh, just understanding that it's not easy. So any practice you have in that situation, you got to take it seriously. So I was just able to get a good pitch and run into it. Like I said, I, I kind of keep going back to the same place here. N- New York is New York in some ways. And to go to you know, that week, you guys played the Mariners, you guys played the Rangers, two good West Coast teams, teams you don't see that often. You can like four out of six for them. It, the the vibes, obviously, everyone understands, you know, Aaron Judge is hurt and, and, and things like that are happening. Sometimes you look at the record and you look at the team's playoff position and you look at their like game by game, series by series output, and you think like, this doesn't really match necessarily the vibe. How are you guys 
maintaining your perspective and maintaining your composure as you go through each one of these things. Because again, you did take four or six that week. You know, I mean, it, it's not all doom and gloom necessarily. We're just trying to go day by day. Um, it's a long season. Felt like last year we hit our, our peak very early and kind of just fizzled out at the end. This year we haven't even hit our stride. I'm not even close. You know, I feel like offensively our numbers are not even close to where they want to, where we want them to be. And I feel like, um, well, I don't know if I feel like I, I'm hoping that it's it's flip flop from last year where we deal with our struggles early and then we gain some momentum at the end and hopefully we take it into the playoffs and you know make a a serious run. Um, last year I felt like we were, I think we we're up 16 games at, at at one point and we just fizzled out. So. I'm hoping that the intensity of playing all these close games that matter and, you know, just being in a, in a lot tighter race is going to allow us to just stay locked in longer and take it into take them some really hot momentum into the postseason rather than, you know, wasting all our bullets early and kind of just fizzling out, going through the motions at the end and, and losing. You can't hide in baseball. Obviously, you are what your record is in a lot of ways. You are what your stats are in a lot of ways. And like you said, I mean, there's a whole half of baseball to play. But if we look specifically to last year, for all the frustration, for all the difficult frustration might be the wrong word. I apologize for all the difficulty, though. What were the positives that you took into the offseason as you built your plan for 2023, even coming off what had not been the year you expected? Personally, it was just my first opportunity to play in the postseason and my first time being on a winning team. It's, a, it's a, just a lot different vibe, um, a lot different expectations. Um, it was, you know, it was a good experience to feel like the the top dog going into the playoffs and then losing. Um, it hurt a lot. So I think I just took that hurt, uh, especially getting benched in the postseason. I, I took all that anger out and, and just put it into my work. So um, it allowed me to get a head start in off season, And I feel like uh, I made big strides in offseason because of that. When you say you took all that anger and directed it, how did you do that? What was the anger you were feeling? Was it internal was it just i guess you know that's oversimplified but i mean what were you feeling and how did you ref, you know use it i guess it was just more of um you know a little disappointment um you know i felt like uh, i waited my whole life to play shortstop for the yankees and i uh, wasn't able to do the job so it was just more of a frustration and disappointment um, but at the end of the day it was a blessing because it put me in, a, in this spot as a utility player to succeed. And I feel like um, it also gives me a good opportunity to help Volpe. So, um, you know, I, I feel like as him being a rookie, I'm fresh off being the shortstop for the Yankees. So um, that experience allows me to help him out a lot. And um, we're locker mates too. So it's uh, we we're built a good relationship and I feel like it's beneficial to both of us. Another guy right in that row there who I spoke to last week about this, um, Oswaldo Cabrera, he says that he sees a lot of similarities in, in the way your games work and the versatility and the ability to play different places. And frankly, he said he sees you. And uh, look, I mean, Oswaldo's always positive, always smiling. So it's not surprising that he's a guy who's easy to find a silver lining with. He says he looks at you and he says, you can turn it around. You can go down and you can kind of lose what you believe you are for a little while, but you can get it back in a sense. Even when things aren't perfect, how much pride do you take in being a veteran, being a leader, being a guy who, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a bit, but just always accountable and always ready to be there for the team. I take a lot of pride in it. Um, this is a hard game. It's going to punch you in the mouth. Um, it's going to lift you up, um, but you can't change who you are. I think that's the biggest thing. You have to understand that this game is tough. Uh, playing in New York is tough, but at the same time, this is where everybody wants to be. You know, this is a trip as a visitor. Everyone brings their family everyone's in town for this series. This is the only series that everybody cares about. So 
it's a good feeling, you know, as much as it could be tough, it could be that much uplifting. And the, the crowd, they're always just waiting to erupt. Um, I feel like they boo because they're just waiting for something big to happen. It's a different type of energy. And when you have that energy every day, I feel like no matter how down you're feeling and no matter how, how tough things are, um, you're able to bring yourself up just based on the energy in the stadium. It's just something that it's unexplainable and it's, it's hard to match. It's one of the weird things about being in a clubhouse after the game. I know it's weird for you guys as players. It's certainly weird for us as reporters because, you know, the job is you need to go up to the guy who made an error or a guy who screwed up some way and say, why did you do that or something? And and he's supposed to say, I didn't want to do it. It was, you know, obviously you are incredibly accountable. You You have made comments both that understand what the Yankees perceive your role as and how you view it. But also, I mean, there was the situation where you said, you know, this game's on me, things like that. Accountability seems to be a very big thing with you. Where does that come from in your life? And why do you feel like, you know, it's it's beneficial in there to just lay it all out and just say it as it is instead of taking one day at a time or any cliches that maybe some guys might want to use in those situations? Yeah, I think my parents, my parents did a good job of, um, you know, making me, my sister, and my brother very accountable. They're always tough on us, but you know, in the long run, it paid off. And um, you know, also growing up a Yankees Yankees fan and, and seeing Derek Jeter and, and watching how he handled everything, uh, the good times, the bad times, and you know, that always stood out to me that he was always very accountable. So, just you know, being a, a lifelong Yankee fan and having this opportunity is just you know, I just want to show the fans that we care and you know it's just it's good for your teammates to hear it i think um when you stand up and and you go out there and you just say it how it is it goes a long way in the clubhouse it goes a long way with you know i feel like the organization and it just shows everybody that you care and that you're willing to get better i always joke with people and it's not a joke even but we all screw up at work we all make mistakes things like that we all do the wrong thing in life at times and i I, i've always just said if you just go up to the person and say right away Here's how I screwed up. I'm sorry. Here's how I'm going to make it right. It's the most disarming thing in the world. Like, what can they possibly say to you at that point? You know, you've already said it. Okay, you, you got to slap me on the arm here. Like, yeah, I already said I screwed up. Next. It just, it, it seems, it, I, you don't want to say it's like a strategy for dealing with stuff because it's just being real. But like, if you just say I screwed up and I'm sorry, it's really hard for that not to be enough sometimes. Yeah, it's really a relief. I feel like it's a, it's, it's a big time relief. And it just, you know, it turns a page. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing is when you don't, when you're not accountable for something, it can leak for a month, uh, two months, or it can take some confidence away. But if you just own up to it, it's over. It's on to the next day, and um, everybody kind of forgets about it over time. I, I imagine there must be so many very cool things about being a baseball player, about you know succeeding in New York. I'm sure hitting a home run is amazing. I'm sure making a great play is awesome. But stealing home, I, I just don't understand how if you steal home in a game, how you don't just spend the rest of the game giggling, because it must just be so hilarious and awesome and fun and funny and all those things. How, how do you manage that? Um, it was the coolest experience to do it in the Subway Series. Um, I, I feel like personally, the Subway Series is, is our biggest series of the year. The atmosphere, the energy is different. Boston's right under that, but I do feel like the Subway Series is a tick higher uh, with intensity and um, with the fans. It's 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 crazy. It's uh, the media makes it feel like it's a World Series with everybody on the field in the clubhouse. Um, you know, it felt like the playoff series weren't even as crazy as last year's Subway Series and, and this year's first two games. So. It was just, it was really cool to do it in that series. And it wasn't something I was expecting to do. The pitcher just wasn't paying attention and I was able to make something happen right there. But it did suck that we lost the game. So at the end of the day, I was, uh, 
and I was kind of trying to hold it in. It was really, really exciting for me, but since the team lost and you know the media is in there after the game, you know I had to hold it together. But it was um, it was something that I've always wanted to do, and it was just cool to be able to do it in you know on the biggest stages in the game. There's a pretty amazing history of New York Subway Series, you know, Yankees, Dodgers, things like that, of uh, Jackie Robinson stealing home and things like that. I mean, if you talk about the all-time highlights of New York versus New York baseball games, that's one of them. Uh, IKF, uh, add your name to the list, I guess. Yeah, I love it. And, and being a kiner, um, you know, I felt that being in City Field, I felt like, um, you know, my uncle was out there watching over me or somehow giving me the opportunity to do that. So I felt like... Um, that was kind of a cool feeling for me as well, being able to see a home in, um, you know, the ballpark that he was able to be, you know, one of the top announcers, broadcasters um, in New York or in the game. So that was pretty cool for me. Obviously, for anyone listening, Isaiah, is it a, a great what, what's the exact relation to how old famer Ralph uh, Kiner? He's my grandpa's second cousin. There you go. That's amazing. So I, well, I don't know however that is to me, but yeah, it's my grandpa's second cousin. Isaiah, you're, you're, you're a serious guy. I mean, I'm sure that. You're not the exact same person that you present yourself to to the media. I think that no one is, obviously. I'd say if there's a spectrum of Yankee seriousness, you know, where DJ LeMahieu on one side and Nestor Cortez on the other side, you know, maybe it seems like you're more on the DJ side in, in my perspective. Is that a correct read? Is that how you see yourself? Or do you feel like yeah. that's just how you put yourself out there? No, DJ's my guy. Uh, DJ's <laughs> my go-to guy. Um, any, any questions I have, anything with the infield or any – um game situations where I feel like I messed up. The first person I go to is always DJ. Yeah. And anytime I need information on a pitcher, anytime I need something, it's it's always the DJ. So I wear him out. But at the end of the day, that's a two-time batting champ, a three, four-time go Glover now. So I'd be dumb if I didn't go up and ask him questions for my benefit. And I think that's the coolest thing on our team is you look at the accolades and um, this year's been tough, um, no doubt. But at the end of the day, you look at the MVPs. I think we got three MVPs in the room. Hopefully, you know, we can get Garrett Cy Young. But, um, yeah, you just can you can go up to all these guys and ask them questions, and you're only going to get better. So, you know, anytime I have something, I go to any of those veteran guys. But, you know, DJ's been my guy for the last couple of years. You also, though, have probably possibly one of the sneakier or funny moments of the last couple of years, the Yankees, when you came off the mound after pitching and were showing the ump your hands as if say, what, you're not going to check me. Uh, you're having fun out there, right? Even even if you are a serious guy, you're you're enjoying yourself when you're on the field. Yeah, um, you know, my preparation is a serious part. Everything with the preparation and, and situational stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I have a lot of fun. And I think that's the biggest thing of for me this year, being a utility guy. I'm able to enjoy the environment a little more. Uh, I felt like last year's a shortstop. I was so focused on the things that I need to work on. I wasn't able to enjoy myself as much. Um, being a utility guy, uh, center field during the Subway Series, you know, with bottom nine, two outs. You know, I'm able to look around and kind of take everything in. And, you know, it's just very fun. What do you think is, this is a big turn of the page. What do you think is the most Hawaiian thing about you? I'd say my, my diet. Um, I love salty foods. I love poke. Poke, beef stew. But I, I would say it's, it's mostly the, the food I eat. But maybe at the same time, um, just personality too. I think the thing about people from Hawaii is we're a little fiery. So I feel like... Um, yeah, I could be fiery at times. So, yeah, when I'm on the field, I'm very fiery. So I, I'd say that and, and the way I eat. I'm always fascinated by people who grew up there. I think it's probably similar to the way I feel with people who grew up in like Las Vegas, where, you know, you're in this tourist mecca. You're you're basically in a place that seems like it was put on this earth just to host every honeymoon in a sense. But 
it's also home. I mean, it's just where you live. It's, it's, it's where you grew up, right? I mean, is it is it ever weird when you talk to people about their view of Hawaii versus the island that you know? Yeah. Everybody's always asking for vacation spots. And I'm always like, well, it's not even that. It's not that cool. Um, you know, but <laughs> even for me being in New York and, and being in, in um, the States is, is, is like, to me, it's, it's it could, sometimes it's overwhelming, but for the most part, it's it's like really, really cool. So the way people see Hawaii is the way I see New York. So it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. That's pre- that's fair. Do you know how your family ended up there? Do you know how far back it goes and everything like that? Yeah, my dad was born in American Samoa. He moved uh, with his family when he was five, and my mom, um, she grew up there her whole life. Parents are from actually my grandpa's from Kansas. I'm sorry, he's from L.A. Moved to Kansas and then to Hawaii for college where he met my grandma and my, my grandma's just, she's from Hawaii. So, um, that's, that's kind of how we got out there. And, and I always joke around. I feel like everybody from Hawaii is a mutt where you don't have someone that's just one race. Um, everybody's very mixed and, and that's kind of how I am. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's cool. When you're growing up there, I mean, do you Island hop at all or, or not at all? Yeah. I Island hop a little bit. Um, you know, my, my uh, mom's sister lives on the big Island. So we, we used to go there as a kid and, I'd go to Kauai and Maui a little bit. Uh, Maui is probably my favorite island. So I'd go there as much as I can. And, um, you know, it was like a 45-minute flight in between the islands. So it was, it's cool. So I, obviously, I mean, look, there's lots of great movies and TV shows about trips to Hawaii. What's your favorite? I'd say Fifty First Dates. Okay. I love that one. You know, we, we definitely would have accepted the uh, Saved by the Bell Hawaiian special. Um, I, I think you were 10 if I'm not mistaken, when that first Hawaiian Little League team won the World Series. And I think it's happened three times since then, including last year. What do you remember about that 2005 team? Is it Iwa Beach or is it Iwa Beach? I never know how it's pronounced. Yeah, but Eva Beach. Eva Beach, sorry. And, and why is this tiny state in the middle of the Pacific Ocean having such success in the this international tournament, do you think? When you're from Hawaii, there's limited opportunities, um, very limited opportunities to get off the island. So I feel like anytime we have the chance to go and play in the States, we take it very, very seriously. That team was really good. Uh, they kind of set it off. But at the end of the day, our team, um, when I was, uh, I think it was 2007, week five in Cooperstown, we're the only team from Hawaii to, to ever win that tournament in Cooperstown. We played the team's. The two teams after, or not not the last one, but the team, I think, that won in 2010. I, I don't know when they won, but we beat them 20 to 1. And, and we decided to go to Cooperstown instead of the Little League World Series. So we that could have easily been our team, but we went and we wanted to play the 96 um, team tournament rather than the 18 tournament. So, yeah, that team from Hawaii that won, they know who's, who's the real team from, from Hawaii and um yeah, I feel like uh, winning Cooperstown. That's kind of when I really, really fell in love with the Yankees because we were able to go there and catch, I think it was Mariano's 400 save. So that was just pretty cool for us to see. When you look at, again, the the difficulty, certainly, but also the experiences, the positives you got to see, I assume you, you view a lot of your career, a lot of your life, and certainly your New York career still as an open book in a sense. What are the th- the chapters you want to write what are the things that you want to take from what you have been through already to build off i feel like yeah just i want to be one of the, the best utility guys or bench players uh, whatever my role may be to play here you know i always want to be the best so um you know that's something that i take a lot of pride in and you know hopefully 
you know, I think this new role, utility or, or bench player, could, you know, hopefully I, I pave a way for guys and, and show them you know, how to be ready, how to do things the right way. And, um, you know, just how to produce out of that role. You know, it's a, it's a hard role sometimes, but, um, you know, I, I want it to be no excuses. I want to be ready at every with every opportunity um, that I could go into. And, you know, the goal is at the end of the day is the World Series. So, um, you know, one of the best utility players, bench players and, and a World Series would be would be really nice. You know that most players don't talk about it that way, though, right? I mean, it, most guys, if you talk to them in your situation, you say, what are your goals here? You They would say, I want to show that I'm a starting this or that, and I want to get back there, and I want to be the player, y- yada, yada. And No, I, I get what you're saying. I want to show the league, show people that just because you're a good player doesn't mean if you're a bench player that you're not valuable to the team. I want to show people that if you're a bench player, you can still be a really, really, really good player and a, and a big asset, no matter if it's running the bases, uh, pinch hitting. You know, there's guys that, you know, that want to be, like you said, kind of want to don't, don't like that role or like being called that role. But I, I kind of want to show teams out there, um, our organization and just the world that there's opportunities there. And not only opportunities, there's you could you could thrive at that role and make a, a huge impact rather than it being just, oh, you're just a bench guy. You're just a utility role. No, I want it to be where like teams are looking for top utility guys. Teams are looking for top bench players and not just filling guys like guys. They know that they can count on guys that can get to that all star level and, you know, guys that really just want to help the team. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just there's value there. It's not just because you're, you know, you do that job, you suck or you're not good enough. It's you're just good at it and other people can't do it. So I think that's kind of what I want to turn it into. Hey, man, I think that's an awesome message. I think that's a great place for us to leave it to. I, I think that, again, talking to talk some of your teammates, talking to Booney about this stuff, it really is impressive to see kind of where your story has gone in you know, the last few months, just because. I give you a lot of credit, man. It didn't uh, seem like it was easy, and I'm sure there was a lot of soul searching there. But you know, good for you for for finding what works and finding who who you want to be and who you are. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Hi, this is Tommy Canley. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Hi, this is Carlos Rodon. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back. Nate, I I think you have been doing this basically around the same amount of time as I have professionally. It's not that often you get a player as willing to talk about being a backup, being a utility player, and being excited about that as what we just heard from Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I thought it was pretty fascinating, to be honest. Yeah, I did too. It's really cool to hear from him and hear how he just wants to be known as a baseball player. Um, I thought that was great. And he's shown that he he's uh, he's capable of, of playing that role really, really well, um, whether it's filling in at second base or, uh, you know, saving uh, an inning out of the bullpen. Uh, the guy can do it all. And... Uh, Sounds like if we ever need a catcher in a pinch, he's he's going to be ready to go at at that position as well. I feel like catching feels like it's basically easy for him. I mean, he has the background in that pitching. I mean, my God. But, you know, I asked uh, Clay Holmes 
if maybe uh, some of the pitchers are getting a little annoyed that IKF's making this look a little too easy. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's, they got a reputation to maintain here, and here comes this uh, shortstop, second base, outfielder, catcher, whatever, is going in there and, you know, rocking a pretty solid ERA. He can do it all. You know, they shouldn't feel too bad. This guy's a pretty special ball player. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's really fun to watch, and it, it's such a good story, um, you know, when – John, when you mentioned that you were going to be sitting down with IKF, I was like really excited for you, first of all, and then excited to, to listen to the interview because um, he came here at, before last season and we all, you know, were excited when we got him knowing what kind of glove he has and, you know, gold glove winner. And he's been through some ups and downs over his year and a half here, but he, he's a really easy guy to root for. He's got a great attitude. So professional in the way he goes about his business uh it's great to see him doing well and i mean he's just had so many positive contributions to this team this season i hope he can keep building on it and be a big uh factor for us down the down the second half and into hopefully into the postseason and i'll say i mean it it was a slightly challenging interview in some ways because it's not the easiest thing to talk to somebody about you know their struggles and why it didn't work perfectly And, and it's also a little bit disarming sometimes when you hear a guy just so openly talking about being okay with his new role and embracing it and everything like that. You know, as I mentioned to him, I'm used to guys saying like, my goal is to show that I belong as a starter. You could talk to uh, the backupist of backup catchers. And that's what he'll say. It's almost what you expect. Sometimes you might even say it's almost what you want, but I I give Isaiah a lot of credit. I think that, you know, if the statement is whatever, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. I think sometimes the flip side to that is if you don't make it here right away, you're never going to make it here and we're going to throw you out of town. And I mean this with no disrespect to just two guys who come to mind right away, Joey Gallo, Sonny Gray. These are really good baseball players. These are really talented baseball players. It didn't work out here. And it just seemed like almost immediately it was like, get those guys away. They can't do it here. And you don't often see a chance for a player to turn that around, to, to, to wait it out almost. And it's really gratifying to hear the reaction that IKF gets from fans right now. You know, does that mean he's not Aaron Judge? You know, he doesn't expect it. He knows what his role is, but he just has this ability to do so many different things that, you know, walking around that clubhouse, talking to guys about him, they really respect him. They really appreciate what he does. And look, you know, I mentioned to him, obviously, Oswaldo Cabrera telling me how he views him as a inspiration because he knows he could turn around. Look, I, I mean... A month, two months ago, Anthony Volpe was the cover star of Yankees Magazine, the biggest story in town. You know, last month it was, man, can this guy cut it? And now you're seeing, yes, you know, it, 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 it not everything is linear. Sometimes you, things move in, you know, curves and, and, and take turns. And it's nice to see him getting a chance here. Whatever the end result ends up being, it's nice to see Isaiah getting a chance to thrive the way he wants to here, even if it's not in the role that we necessarily expected. Yeah, well, he's earned that chance, I think, by the work that he puts in. You know, all, all these guys work hard, and a lot of it takes place, you know, away from the cameras and away from the reporters and our notepads, and we don't get to see very much of it. But with IKF, um, it, it's hard to miss uh, just the way that this guy you know, just the effort that he puts in, um, you know, when there's a player out there on that field uh, at, you know, 2.30 in the afternoon in an empty stadium taking extra ground balls, more times than not, it's IKF out there. You see it, John, like the way he just kind of zips into his locker and he's just very, um, 
just professional, you know, just the way he goes about it. I was not surprised to hear that he, you know, kind of follows DJ LeMahieu closely in that regard because it's another guy who has a very obvious and impressive work ethic. So uh, I feel like those two are kind of cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. And that's how you work out of challenging times. And that's how you keep earning additional opportunities. When you just stay consistent in your work ethic and you're the same guy day in and day out, good things often end up happening to guys like that. It's such a good point, Nate. And I feel like, and again, you know, Maybe I'm naming a guy who I shouldn't name here right now, but this is no knock to, say, a Josh Donaldson. Look, Josh Donaldson has struggled in a lot of ways and has struggled certainly getting the fans on his side necessarily. And fans coming into the stadium, buying a ticket, they have a right to express whatever frustration they have that I'm not telling them they can't do that at all. They can do whatever they, they could say, whatever they want, as long as it's you know within bounds and appropriate, they're allowed to be frustrated. Fine. But to, to your point, Nate, Josh Donaldson is the guy who I would say is always out there at 2.30 every day taking t- doing extra work and everything like that. These guys are, like you said, all working. And, you know, you, you sometimes have to wonder, again, allowing fans to be fans and allowing fans to boo and all this stuff, what is it you want at the end of the day? Do you want to be right and say, this guy can't hack it here, get him out of town? Or do you want to see the result we're getting from IKF right now, which is... Let's believe in this. Let's let this guy maybe recalibrate a little bit what his expectations are and what his sense of his role is. I really do find, and I, I'm still working on the story. I'm actually going to write with it. A lot of it's going to be based off this interview, obviously, but it really was very interesting to talk to him. It's not the type of baseball conversation I'm used to having. And yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed the, the stuff about growing up in Hawaii and st- stuff like that, too. I mean, it's always, you know, players backgrounds uh and where they come from and their family and all that is always so important to their you know how they got to where they are today and uh he's got a really unique backstory and it's uh it's always a pleasure talking to him you know i had a chance to uh interview him at length prior to his first game in pinstripes uh before last season and i just i really enjoyed it so that was why i was Looking forward so much to this one, and uh, it was certainly a great listen. So, well done, John. Thank you very much. And look, this is a really special time around Yankee Stadium, around baseball. July 4th is always awesome. This week in particular, first off, when, when I was speaking to IKF, talking about just different things and maybe some vibes and whatever, what I wasn't able to say to him, because it wouldn't happen until approximately five hours later, was that the Yankees were about to get a perfect game. Um, so that was interesting. But, it, it, you know, it, it is the type of thing that can kind of change the mood around a season in some way, certainly change the mood around a week. And obviously, you go straight from that into Hope Week. And Hope Week is the week that Yankees players, Yankees front office executives, Yankees coaches all spend the week out in the community honoring people who have gone above and beyond uh, to do their community work. It is without a doubt the best thing the Yankees do every year it is I'm I'm 100% not cynical when it comes to this I love watching it I love seeing the stories and Nate I don't even know I don't I don't think I had ever found out the full detail on how we did this but of course in our August issue we're going to have full coverage of this year's hope week but in the July issue which is out this week we have an amazing story about a guy who was involved in hope week last year in just one of these perfect you know post-pandemic stories in a sense of persevering and just love of baseball and all these things. Nate, I love it if you could give a little bit of the backstory about how this came to be because it's such a wonderful story. 
Yeah, so Dan Reichel was a uh, one of the honorees during Hope Week 2022, and he was honored for basically what started as just a, a, a thought in his mind of a way to hopefully try and get back to some sort of sense of normalcy uh, coming out of the pandemic when everybody had been socially distancing and all that stuff. He, he came up with this idea in his mind of, well, let me uh, have 162 different games of catch. And so he had a, a different throwing partner uh, 162 times. And uh, it was a way for just people to start to reconnect. And as the, the project grew in scope, it started to, you know, loop in former players and different people connected with the game and uh, it was just a really uplifting inspiring story about people's love of baseball and helping people uh, come together again after you know what was a really challenging time and the Yankees you know rightfully so saw Dan as a great Hope Week honoree last year so during this off season, Dan reached out uh, to me and said, hey, you know, what do you think about something in Yankees magazine kind of retelling the, the story of, you know, my 162 games of catch project? And, um, and I'm going to cut you off here to say um, maybe 100% is too much here, but easily 99.9% .9 of the times that someone reaches out saying, I want to tell my story about this cool thing that happened to me. Um, that's a red flag in some ways about <laughs> the quality of the story we're going to get, but but why don't you pick it up again? Yeah, I mean, so I liked the idea, and I was, um, like you said, I mean, you just don't know when it's somebody who, you know, he's not a uh, an author or a journalist or anything like that, so you kind of have your fingers crossed that, you know, he can <laughs> string together a couple sentences, um, but what Dan turned in was uh, terrific. It was absolutely well-written, uh, well-told. He's got tons of great little anecdotes. Um, you know, I love the fact that one of his games of catch uh, was with Bobby Shantz, who played for the Yankees back in the 1950s uh, and who is now in his 90s, but still doing well and was able to tell some great stories about, uh, you know, he was a pitcher, but he got called into <laughs> ninth inning uh defensive replacement duties for Mickey Mantle out in center field. Um, just loads of great uh, little tidbits like that throughout this story. And, uh, you know, I ended up just being really thankful that Dan reached out to us and is such a good writer and was great to work with, you know, gave us some photos to run in the story as well. And um, it just, to me, made perfect sense to run in our July issue. It's such a beautiful story. It's so, it's so of a piece with the spirit of Hope Week, which is, mm -hmm. look, I mean, there, there, it is wonderful when people who are fabulously wealthy give a lot of money to great causes, and, and they can do amazing things for that. But the reality is most people aren't fabulously wealthy in that regard. And what Hope Week does better than almost anything is it shines a light on these very, very ordinary acts of charity, or, or I, I should say things that start ordinary, because there, there's just, look, this isn't, a, you know, Dan Rachel's not out there you know, curing ALS or, or whatever. I mean, you know, this is a very simple thing, but it's just such a spirit of what baseball is and what the Yankees should represent, which is bringing people together and getting people out. But really what this is, is just this story and, and you know, the finale essentially of him having a catch with his dad on the Yankee stadium field with Aaron judge. 
it just, it's just such a beautiful idea of you know how the Yankees view their place in society, which of course they're a baseball team. Of course, fans are going to live and die with every at bat, every win, every loss, all these things, and that's great, and and, and that's wonderful to do. But the Yankees are bigger than that, and it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing every year. Not that Hope Week is by any means the only thing the Yankees do in the community, but to really take every single person involved with the team and make sure that they're all involved in this, shining a spotlight on the importance of what goes on outside the stadium and what and the, and the people who do heroic acts that have nothing to do with hitting a triple-digit fastball. It's, it's, it's so special. Like I said, I... <laughs> you you work for a professional sports league like I did. You work for a professional sports team. You definitely there are times you see how the sausage is made. It's not always everything you dreamed about when you were a little kid. Hope Hope Week is the opposite. Hope Week, I just I I, I every year something about it brings me to tears. I always wish I could be more involved. I wish I had more time to do more stuff with it. It's wonderful. I give so much credit to Jason Zillow, our our PR director, and every person involved with his staff because. This is months of work. This is days where they will not sleep at all because they also have, you know, five baseball games this week to say nothing of the fact that it's, you know, the July 4th holiday when many people enjoy doing things that are not work and they will be working harder than ever. But it's just such a wonderful thing. And I'm so proud to be part of this organization this week every year. I couldn't have said it better myself. It, It is always there's. Many stories I hear about, uh, some of them make it into print in Yankees magazine, some of them don't, but about the you know work that the team does in the community, and it certainly makes me proud to work for this organization, I'm proud to be a Yankee fan, and Hope Week is the absolute epitome of that. So, um, you know, and I, I think this feature, it's called Catching Hope. Uh, it's in the July issue of Yankees Magazine. It'll be up online this week. If you don't know what Hope Week, Hope Week is all about, this story will give you a really good idea of why it's so special. Absolutely. And and then look, I mean, the last thing we'll say of this episode before we let everyone uh, enjoy the rest of their long holiday week, what have you. Obviously, we mentioned it was a very exciting uh, time last week as uh, Yankees fans who were able to stay up late got to see a perfect game that Domingo Herman threw in Oakland because the magazine, the July magazine, literally printed that afternoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was Sorry. watching the game from a hotel room in outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, <laughs> having just watched it all roll off the presses, not able to make a last-minute change to get anything about that in it. But conveniently, 40 years ago, Dave Forgetti was looking out for us, which is why we have a story about Dave Rigetti's no-hitter against the Red Sox on July 4th, 1983. So even if you can't read anything this month, about Domingo Herman's perfect game in Yankees magazine. At least you can read about another truly monumental pitching outing and the mixed emotions that come with it when you realize maybe that it doesn't alone validate everything you want to believe about yourself. John, this isn't just a story in Yankees magazine. This is one of the best stories we've had in Yankees magazine, like in a long, long time. (laughs) This, I was blown away when I read this for the first time. You, just killed it with this one um, because you you don't often get to you know write historic pieces and I was expecting just sort of a, a historic you know this is what it was like 40 years ago to be at Yankee Stadium on July 4th 1983 this story is so much more than that totally thanks to Dave Rigetti himself and the the time he spent with you and just the candidness, uh, I guess I would say, of his interview. Um, really, really amazing story that 
puts his accomplishment in a light that I had never really thought about it in. So yes, while the timing um, could could not have been <laughs> worse for Domingo Herman, we're sorry, Domingo, we will get something on your incredible perfect game into the August issue of Yankees Magazine. I can promise you that. Um, at least we do have something on a Yankees no-hitter in this edition, and it's incredible. I mean, John, like you said, you didn't know the backstory of the, uh, the Catching Hope feature. I'm not sure I know the backstory of how you came to have this time with Dave Rigetti. Like, where and when did this go down, and how did it come to be? So I spent a day with Dave last September. I was on, I was in California for a couple of concerts. And um, while I was there, I was just like, because, you know, ironically, I was also chasing at the same time. Uh, I've, I've been exchanging emails with Jim Abbott for a very long time because this year is the 30th anniversary of his no-hitter. And as a Michigan guy, I've always been really intrigued by that story. And it's one of those things that seems so impossible that I really wanted to talk to him about. And, and we kept on trying. He was wonderful in terms of trying to make it work, and we were never able to make it work. But at the same time, I reached out to Dave Rigetti and sure enough, he came back and said, sure, come up, spend the day. You know, the only negative is, uh, you know, my, one of my daughters is about to give birth. Um, it might be that day in which case we'll have to cancel. I'm like, look, that's a good reason if you have to cancel. <laughs> and I've never met, um, Rigetti. And, and, and that was one of the interesting things. Part of the reason I've never met him, which is a lot of what we talked about is so much of his life, his, his post Yankees life was spent at another, with another team, the Giants, who he was the pitching coach with for years and years and years, and now he's still an advisor. It's not like he could go back for Old Timers Day or anything like that. He's been living in the baseball world all this time. So this was last September, and it was it, that was early in the conversation. He was kind of talking about that and, and how the, one of the points he was making is that a lot of people with the Yankees don't even know him that well. And this is kind of how I ended the story, where an executive with the team, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to be coy. It's just I think that the guy probably wouldn't be proud of himself for making this comment maybe so i'll keep the name out of it but said to, they were talking and he basically made the point to regetti like man i didn't know that you had this much history with the yankees um and he said like maybe i guess it's just because you guys didn't win which is obviously the story of the 1980s yankees but regetti was like no we did win we won more than any other team that decade you know we just didn't win enough at the right time and what i learned from listening to him and I should be very clear, he was hilarious, he was warm, he was fun. This is not an angry person, but he was conflicted. He he never got the sense of love from the Yankees or the Yankees fans that it seemed like he was supposed to get in some ways. And I'm not saying that it's him being needy, I'm saying it more as him just being kind of in a state of limbo, in a sense. And that's what I kept on getting from him. And he was just really hurt by some things that had happened to him in his career and it was obviously a difficult time and it was a time when you know careful being careful what i say here especially at that time george steinburn was not the easiest person to play for or work for and all these things and and, and there was just a very heavy mood around the stadium a lot and it made it you know for a guy who never was on a world series championship team for the new york yankees which you're supposed to be it made everything get just get weighed down in a sense and so he was open and he was wonderful about it. And I'll be honest with you, <laughs> I haven't spoken to him since the story came out. Um, 
I, I wonder if he's going to read it and just be like, man, this guy didn't get me at all. Or, or if he's going to say like, man, he really did. But I, I really just, and I went back to him a lot of times and asked him a lot of questions because I didn't want to put words into his mouth that maybe I, I gave him another chance on all these things he had said. And I think, I hope that I really just conveyed a guy who was always seeking something and it took him a very long time in his life to realize that he didn't have to keep seeking it, that he had accomplished so much. Well, uh, I think that that, is conveyed very well in this story. And I mean, <laughs> is that why you wanted to, to tie in the book of Ecclesiastes? <laughs> I mean, you don't often less, <laughs> even less often than you go historic is, uh, you know, going Bible references. But. Yeah. I'm not really big on Bible references in my writings in Yankees magazine. That doesn't happen that often, <laughs> I, but it works really well in this instance. It was so organic. Um, literally, you know, I wish I could say it's because I'm a biblical scholar who, you know, has this stuff in my back pocket. I was going through his quote and he just, there was something about the rhythm and the cadence and the way he kept on talking that reminded me of the song, turn, 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 you know, famously by the birds. And I kept kind of hearing that. And I was kind of laughingly playing with that as I was hearing that. And then at some point I just decided like, well, let's just read this, you know? And I, I mean, I, I, at the time I'm dealing with three plus hours of, uh, recording of, uh, that I'm trying to transcribe from our day together. And suddenly everything I'm hearing him say, I'm hearing through the lens of this song. And, you know, I have a Jewish day school background. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I studied some of this stuff at some point. I imagine I took a Bible class in college and just kind of kept going back to it in the sense of the book of Ecclesiastes and, and, and the idea of, you know, being unfulfilled and, and vanity and all these things. And, I think I told you whiningly, nervously, like, man, this one might not work, but I'm taking a shot here. <laughs> and fortunately, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of very few stories in Yankees magazine that quotes Rabbi Harold Kushner. It might be the only one. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, it, it was it, it was fun to take this in a very different direction. Yeah, I, I know that you definitely, uh, you know, it was a bit like giving birth in some ways it was like a, a nine-month process nearly that uh, it really was <laughs> it took it took a lot not out the, of not, you not the giving birth part definitely the nine-month process part i'm not <laughs> suggesting this was like <laughs> sorry to all the wives and mothers out there. <laughs> but in the end uh, a beautiful story and uh the historic stuff is great too i mean it's not only just about you know Dave Rigetti 40 years later and, and his feelings about it now. There's also a ton of great stuff from the day itself. Um, really cool that you were able to catch up with Butch Weiniger, the catcher that day, who gave you a ton of really insightful stuff about the game itself. Um, the photos are amazing. Like like I said, I mean, it's it's too bad we weren't able to get stuff about Domingo Herman's perfect game into this issue, but uh, stuff about a really memorable no hitter i mean to do it on july 4th at yankee stadium yeah uh that's that's a special day in yankees history and, and you make the point that i mean for a decade in which they didn't win the world series i mean that was kind of among the if, if not the biggest one of the biggest highlights of the whole decade for the absolutely team. and look i mean i i think i have to say because you mentioned the pictures in here you know there's a lot of ways these stories come together and like i said i was emailing with dave he was great he was willing but there's no question in my mind that the glue that brought this whole thing that made it work. We just happened to reach out to the Giants team photographer, a guy that I've 
known and worked with a little bit in the past and that our, our team photographer, Ari Goldman Heck knows his name's Andy Kuno. So when I show up to this guy's house that I've never met before, hoping to spend a day with him, get everything, having a familiar face there in Andy Kuno, there's no question that opened up a lot of him to me. And, you know, you can look in the magazine and see great pictures from there. A lot of the, the nature of those pictures and how they came to be is part of what made him I, I don't know how open he is with me if there's not a friendly face sitting there so it's one of those things that yeah the pictures are great and yeah it's wonderful we have them and we're grateful for the pictures but you know th there's a big part of the reporting process that comes from just finding a way to be comfortable with somebody and we were really lucky to have andy kuno in there with us absolutely i mean we uh you know reap the benefits of our team photographers relationship oh, with sure. players and coaches and ex-players and managers and everybody else all the time um so i can certainly understand why that was helpful having andy there with you um for this story it's called it, it's a lyric well a lyric i guess a line from <laughs> the book of ecclesiastes call, call what you will a time to every purpose under heaven a very unique title to a very unique story <laughs> and uh seriously just you you killed it with this one john i'm so happy to have this in yankees magazine and so excited for our readers to check it out as i mentioned to my rabbi nate it's not that often that i write a story in yankees magazine that could also serve as a sermon in synagogue someday so <laughs> it's nice to be able to multitask here but thank you so much awesome. and, I, and i really had so much fun doing this one but i think that's a great place to leave this one we've taken up enough of all your time you should be outside you should be enjoying the beach and all those things and certainly yankees baseball nate until we do this in two weeks you know we look forward to that and certainly to talking about the rest of the july issue with you in the weeks to come sounds great john we'll do it again soon cheers thank you for listening to the new york yankees official podcast for more stories like these be sure to subscribe at yankees.com forward slash podcast and for the most in-depth coverage of your new york yankees subscribe to yankees magazine at yankees.com forward slash publication thanks for listening and go yankees the new york yankees official podcast is a production of the yankees magazine podcast network it's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Brian Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800 go yanks Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks.